District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I'm speaking with Teresa Lucas McMahon of Protect the Harvest. If you recognize her maiden name, she is related, in fact, to the Lucas Oil family, the family behind Lucas Oil. Her grandpa started the company. We're going to talk about combating radical animal rights advocates. And I think one thing we're going to hone in on, especially today, is whether or not elephants have human rights and if habeas corpus should be extended to them. We're going to talk about the case of an elephant by the name of Happy, who resides at the Bronx Zoo, and how this one radical environmentalist group wants to remove the elephant from the zoo. That's an interesting battle, and that's not the only case. Teresa will talk about a few more cases like that emerging in California. And while it does sound preposterous, it's going to start to become common. And if it's to succeed in the courts, it could become more commonplace. And whether or not you like zoos, you hunt, you own animals even, as pets, dogs and cats specifically, this ruling can affect you. And also Teresa will talk about different issues like 3030, why her organization is opposed to that. We met at the Nebraska summit and we'll just dive deep into that. But we want to focus on Happy the Elephant. I think that hasn't gotten a lot of coverage and we're going to do that today on the podcast. So here is my interview with Teresa Lucas McMahon. Teresa, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Can you introduce yourself to my listeners? Sure. Uh, my name is Teresa Lucas McMahon, and I'm the program manager and board secretary at Protect the Harvest. And you come from a pretty famous family. Can you talk about your ties to the Lucas Oil family? Sure. Uh, my grandfather is Forrest Lucas, and he started Lucas Oil. Uh, it was in about 1989 when that was incorporated. And that's kind of been his main claim to fame is working on trying to find better ways to uh, take care of large trucks, um, automobiles, and, you know, make products that will extend their life. Um, and oddly enough, back in 2011, um, he started Protect the Harvest, which seems like it would have nothing to do with that side. Um, but he, growing up, had um, cattle that he would show as a kid, teenager, and, you know, his his game of golf, as they call was starting a cattle ranch when he became an adult um, after he had his claim to fame and was able to do so. So out in Missouri, they had a nice ranch, Lucas Cattle Company put together. Um, then came Humane Society of the United States in 2010 with a ballot initiative that was going to affect pretty much any livestock owner that had their animals near their, their residence. And they put this under a a uh, puppy mill bill, as they were calling it, uh, Prop B, and Forest Ranch Manager got a hold of that, found out about it, and that kind of started the whole battle of why in the world would a group that is, you know, says they're for animal welfare, says that they're for protecting dogs and cats, you know, um, why are they wanting to end the livestock industry? 
So that is where it all began. And it has just grown and grown since then um, with trying to educate people on what these groups are trying to do to our food supply, um, what they're trying to do to our property rights, uh, whether it be hunting and fishing or owning a dog, um, having a backyard chicken, you name it. Uh, that's kind of what we're up against is, a, is an attack on our entire food supply and property rights. Could you explain some of the recent initiatives Protect the Harvest has undertaken? Sure. Um, a lot of what we do is on the educational side, whether it be with the public or national ag in the classroom um, or, you know, attending events like the FFA events, um, American Farm Bureau events, and just trying to get some of this information out there to people that are not aware. Um, so unfortunately, there's not a lot of people that have stood up against these issues. There are a lot of ag advocacy groups out there. Uh, but when you start pushing back against the animal rights and environmentalist extremists, you're going to get attacked. So that's kind of been why most people have played it safe and always said, you know, we're for protecting the farmer, but they've never said what they're against. So that's kind of where Protect the Harvest is. We're not afraid to say what we're against. So a lot of what we educate on is who are these groups? Um, what are they currently doing? to our energy sector, our food security sector, um, your personal property rights on a county level, a state level, um, a federal level. Um, we work on policy and not only informing just the public, but also legislators that may not know. Uh, a lot of people are not informed on what these groups actually stand for. You know, they see groups like the HSUS, ASPCA and think, well, they're here to protect animals but they don't understand the underlying issue is, is pretty much to turn our country into a vegan society um, without owning any animals whatsoever. That means dogs, cats, um, your hunting dog, even police animals or you know um, animals that help those that have seeing capabilities or um, they may be emotional support animals, that sort of thing. They are completely against that. So. It's hard to get to that information, though, when you go and just see these websites or talk to somebody from that group. You have to actually dive into a lot of the information they have hidden. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Where a, a, a main purpose is to research these groups, research these bills and legislation that comes out, and try to educate people so that they can make informed decisions and also tell their legislators or tell their friends and family members, their neighbors, and get them involved in this process of getting back to a local government and letting people know how they can get involved. Because a lot of people don't understand. Um, they see the big picture when they come and start educating themselves about Protect the Harvest and the things we get involved with. They see that it's such a huge issue that we're dealing with, um, and they don't really know what to do. They're kind of just blinded by all this drinking from a fire hose. Uh, but there's a lot of things people can do, even on a small local level. There are certainly a lot. And I think a lot of people, when they start to see, let's say, their ability to eat blue crabs affected, that's something that's been ongoing here in the Chesapeake Mid-Atlantic region. I've seen that those billboard wars, which are hilarious, 
uh, when the crab supporters like fight back against PETA and humane society, but even just like your ability to eat meat, I know there's a big push for eating bugs, which is disgusting. If you ask me, um, if people want to do that, they're within the right to, but I think most Americans would like to stick with eating conventional meat and not alternatives, but I want to move it to a case that really piqued my interest. And we talked about this when we met in Nebraska for the first time, not too long ago, almost two months ago uh, for the stop 30 by 30 summit. And this is somewhat adjacent to what you guys focus on, but it definitely plays into the big picture, but it's the case of an elephant by the name of happy who resides in the Bronx zoo. She's an Asian elephant over 50 years old. And this group called the non-human rights project is claiming that her rights are being violated and that habeas corpus, which is a legal term, uh, the writ of habeas corpus, I'm reading from Cornell Law School what this means for you non-legalese folks, used to bring a prisoner or other detainee, such as an institutionalized mental patient, before a court to determine if the person's imprisonment or detention is lawful. So they are arguing that the elephant should be bestowed habeas corpus because they believe it's wrongfully in prison. And actually, the Bronx Zoo has issued a very scathing announcement in response to this. And I think actually some of the uh, some of the judges, excuse me, in the Court of Appeals of the state of New York are not taking their case very seriously or putting into question what it is. So a brief statement before I have you respond, Teresa, about the case and why you guys took an interest, a little context for everyone. Um, so they are saying with this non-human rights group continues to misuse the writ of habeas corpus to advance what they have called a state-by-state, country-by-country, long-term litigation campaign. The blatant exploitation of Happy the Elephant by NRP to advance their coordinated agenda shows no concern for the individual animal and reveals the fact that they're willing to sacrifice Happy's health and psychological well-being to set precedent. They are not, quote, freeing, unquote, Happy as they purport, but arbitrarily demanding that she be uprooted from her home and transferred to another facility where they would prefer to see her live. This demand is based on a philosophy and does not consider her behavior, history, personality, age, and special needs. So break down this case for my listeners. So I offered some context because I think many people don't know about this issue much, but we were happy to read off a little context. But why did Protect the Harvest jump in on this case and is supporting the Bronx Zoo in in essence in this case? Sure. Um, This unfortunately is one of the biggest issues in the country right now on property rights um, that most people are not aware of. Um, Mainly because if this sets precedent, it's not gonna just set precedent for elephants and zoos. If an animal is able to have a human right, which habeas corpus is a human right, um, it sets precedent that any animal, if kept in captivity, could be um, subject to having a lawsuit. Uh, That includes your dog and your cat um, and all zoo animals or livestock. So when you start down that road, it's very hard to stop it. So we've been trying to fight this thing since the original case came out. Um, And of course, that got dismissed and they have appealed it. So it is currently at the New York uh, Appellate Court which is, happens to be the same group of people that is the New York Supreme Court, conveniently. Um, now, if they do get this through, we will be appealing to the Supreme Court if we have to. Uh, we're not gonna stop on this. This is, this is going to be a huge problem. 
And my concern would be that if they dismiss it or, um, you know, they don't win, they will also probably appeal to the Supreme Court. And that is, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. We have about, I'd say about a month until we hear back um, on the decision. Uh, we're pretty confident that the, the the hearing went very well on our side. Um, and I think when it comes to issues like these, most judges are going to look at the logical um, legal reasoning behind this and the opposite the oppo opposition here a lot of their discussion on this whole issue is emotional based and that's kind of what all of the animal rights movement is based on is emotional based rhetoric it's not based on logic on you know human exceptionalism or the fact that humans are different than animals it's all based on you know well we feel bad for those animals or we you know, what would we feel like if we were in that situation? But that's that's not how it works. Um, humans are different from animals, obviously. To say that this is a big issue is an understatement. Um, they have, the Non-Human Rights Project has been around since about 20, 2007. Um, Stephen Wise started that group and he is uh, very extremist in his views. Uh, as far as nobody should own any animals, nobody should be eating meat or using any animal products. So he has been able to win some battles uh, internationally, unfortunately. And this is the first one that's really gotten a hold in the United States. Now, along with that, they have also just recently filed for habeas corpus in California for a handful of elephants. So that's kind of just now getting out there. And that's going to be something we're going to be looking into. But they don't plan on stopping. Unfortunately, uh, groups like Protect the Harvest and other conservation groups or other um, groups that are trying to protect animal welfare, we don't have unlimited budgets. But um, it seems like groups like the HSUS, Non-Human Rights Project, ASPCA, other environmentalist extremist groups, they seem to have an unending limit, you know, an unending pipeline of money that's coming from corporations and very wealthy people. So that's, you know, while we're on the right side, we are on the side of logic and truth. Um, they do have the advantage of having a lot more funding than we do. So it's up to the judges and up to our country and our citizens to decide if this is the route they want to take and the way they want to push our country. Certainly. And we often see this with similar animal rights advocates who say they know what's best for the welfare of the animal, that the practices of either housing animals in, let's say, a zoo or, let's say, people managing wildlife on public lands, those practices are outdated and inhumane. And so they they definitely come about it from an emotional argument. And I think when people are presented their efforts, I think they can deduce that they're not conducive to any rationale whatsoever, nor are they practical. Because let's say in the case of zoos, I've had a zoo CEO, Tim Morrow of San Antonio Zoo. He's come on my show. He invited me to the zoo. I got to see a VIP look at the facility. It's a great place. They take great care of their animals. They love 
what they do. And they're at the heart of their goal is conservation. I think you find that at most zoos. And then with hunting, of course, as we examine here on the podcast, we see that people who, let's say bear hunters, a lot of bear hunting is deemed controversial and inhumane, but bear hunting is largely needed to keep a balance of bear populations. You see that bear managers and and bear conservationists really do have reverence for the animal. So these people are coming in from the outside. They have nothing necessarily to do with the animals they claim to protect and they claim to have the best interests of. And it seems like we can easily, I guess, put holes through their arguments uh, when challenged, but certainly they know how to appeal to people. They put up flashy commercials, they pull up the heartstrings and they say that this elephant is being deprived, but how do they know how the elephant is feeling if they can't talk to it and they can't communicate to it? So it's, that raises a whole nother question. Um, but aside from that case, you guys have also taken an interest in President Biden's 30 by 30 initiative. Like I alluded to a little earlier, that's how we first met a few weeks ago. And why is the organization taking an interest in something as grand scale as that? I think because our makeup as an organization was originally set around farming, ranching, you know, owning livestock, but it has grown to include pretty much all property rights issues, including hunting and fishing, um, pet ownership, pet breeding, you name it. Um, And the 30 by 30 is going to affect every single sector in the United States, whether it's property rights, water rights, whether you can have an animal on a certain piece of land, whether you can build a house on a certain piece of land. Um, So, you know, the fact that it's so up in the air and nothing is set in stone with that is is the big issue. Um, You know, in addition to the fact that the, the government wants more land, unfortunately, which is not a surprise. Um, It's never really a surprise to us when the government tries to say we want more land, more regulations, more restrictions. Um, But the fact that it's an executive order is a huge problem. It is a, a very extreme overreach on what our executive branch is able to do or should be doing. Um, So, I know you all look at it a lot from the conservation point of view or you know whether hunters and fishers are going to be able to fishermen are going to be able to use that land or those waterways and we're looking at it from you know are we going to be able to raise our cattle or are we going to have you know restrictions even more restrictions on having large feedlots or um areas where people can raise poultry and I don't think most of the country, which I could be wrong because at this point they're starting, most of the country is starting to wake up and see what's happening in the grocery stores um, due to the COVID supply chain issues. But, you know, up until now, most people have just kind of just assumed that their food came from the grocery store and not from a farmer or a rancher. And, you know, it's already extremely hard for them to make a profit because of the regulations and ordinances that are put on small farmers to medium-sized farmers. Um, If you put even more on that, what you're gonna do is drive out those small, medium-sized farmers and ranchers, and it's gonna push more people into large-scale farming and corporate farming. And that's kind of, you know, while we need that, we have to have that. We also need a diversity of where our food's coming from. So whether you can get it local, 
or regional or nationwide, all of that has to work together for the food chain to be successful in our country. So you see that happening right now. If you go to any grocery store, you can see bare shelves. Um, and that's an image of what's been going on. A lot of farmers, ranchers have been going out of business for the past two years because of the supply chain. And 30 by 30 is going to exacerbate that even to a higher extent, a much higher extent. So, yeah, I mean, we need to get rid of that as, as soon as possible. Now, obviously, it's not going into effect today, but the day it does, um, we're going to have a big problem. I mean, we deal with issues on BLM land, and that's bad enough with dealing with that. Um, this would be an even more restrictive way of going about it. I think once people actually see the details of the plans and the initiative, it's very vague how they define conservation. And I tell people like, well, if we can't get a opposition to it, you know, if, if the change of hands in Congress may propel kind of a, a stop gate to it or a, a stop to the effort, that's what I tell them, like, well, if things go pl to plan politically, we won't see it advanced at the congressional level. I worry they could still enact it by executive fiat or through a secretarial order. And I think people will still I think people will understand what they're trying to do. And I don't know if you've heard about this discussion, um, whether or not you're into grazing or hunting or fishing, multiple use, but um, they want to move away from the multiple use model that has been very definitive of conservation in this country. So I've read reports from the Aspen Institute, from their Ideas Summit from a few summers ago. I saw Senator Heinrich talk about this in an interview with E&E &E News when he was being considered for Interior Secretary. And you even see the new uh, BLM Director, Bureau of Land Management Director, Tracy Stone Manning, who said, well, we'll still have multiple use, but we'll move away from traditional uses and to clean energy, something of that nature. So they are trying to shift what public lands management or natural resources management looks like, and that'll affect a lot of traditional players, whether it's ranchers, cattlemen, uh, people who work in timber, and even recreational users. So I think they welcome this kind of transition away from the multiple use model to this public use model, which takes out a lot of people who pay the royalties, who lease land, who are the best stewards of the land in and around public lands. And so to me, I think it, it could be argued it's deliberate, that they want to see this go through and they want to weaponize, let's say, tools that are not supposed to be weaponized, like national monument designations to designate more lands, to keep away multiple uses. And even, like I said, recreational users, not just people who make a profit off of different multiple use activities, but even recreationists, that's how bad some of these policies can be used to distort their intentional meaning, the smallest contiguous space and allowing every public user opportunities to access it. But if there's anything else that you think my listeners should be aware of from Protect the Harvest, what else do you think uh, should be on people's radar before sending them to resources? Sure. I think the biggest thing is for people to be informed on what the difference is between uh, animal rights and animal welfare. Uh, a lot of people, well, a lot of the groups that are against us and uh, movements of true conservation are trying to disguise themselves as animal welfare organizations. And animal welfare is not the same as, you know, giving an animal the right to do something. 
Animal welfare is for looking out for what is proper care for an animal, ensuring that that animal is, you know, getting medical care if needed, uh, food, shelter, water. And animal rights is almost the complete exact opposite. Uh, you can just look at the wild horse issue out in the West right now. Um, animal rights activists are more interested in letting those animals starve to death and, um, you know, not have water as long as it means that they are on the land and nobody is bothering them. Well, on the opposite side, groups that are for animal welfare are thinking, okay, we it's not good to let animals just sit there and starve to death and um, reproduce in a way that's, you know, harming the genetics of the animal. And that's kind of where it is. You know, that's the crux of it, of why these groups have gotten such a foothold is by saying we're for the animals, we're for animal welfare, when that is extremely the opposite. Um, anytime you give a being a right to, you know, not have, just like a human right, you as a human are allowed to make your own decisions and nobody's going to force something on you. If you give that animal the same right, then you have to leave that, that animal to their own device. You have to leave that, if that means letting it starve to death, if that means turning loose every bit of livestock and letting them die out as a species, that has been said over and over again by animal rights activists. So you and I think it's good to take care of your animals. Um, and that's always been how people have stewarded the land and stewarded animals. And that's, you know, goes back as far as to biblical meanings of eight people should take care of animals. Um, but the other side does not believe in that viewpoint um, because they see those animals as just the same as a child or an adult. So that's kind of the big thing of people need to be informed on what they're actually fighting for and what they're fighting against and not to be deceived when they throw out terms like we're for animal welfare. Well, the question would be to ask them, well, what do you mean by animal welfare? Do you mean making sure those animals are cared for properly or do you mean giving them the rights of a human being? That's a great distinction to make. I think that's often confusing and those two are those two terms or those two kind of phrases are conflated with one another. So thank you for making that distinction. Teresa, where can everyone connect with you and or protect the harvest, either digitally, website, where, where can you send them to? Sure. Uh, our website is just protecttheharvest.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We just recently got on TikTok. So we are <laughs> in all the alternative media places. We're also there. So just feel free to you can get to all those from our website. That's probably the best way to reach out. Um, there's a phone number, email on there. You're welcome to call, email us anytime with questions. Or if you see legislation um, or ordinances in your area that you're concerned about regarding property rights, uh, please let us know because we deal with things on the city level, county level, state level, and federally. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast to talk about the organization, this case about Happy the Elephant, and why property rights and conservation stewardship should 
go hand in hand. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Gabriella. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to us on your preferred podcast player. We recommend Apple Podcasts, where over 60% of our listenership hails from. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, which don't really populate, but follow us on social media to make sure you never miss a beat or a guest announcement. You can also find us on CFAC's website under District of Conservation under my profile, Gabriella Hoffman, to catch up on all different past episodes there. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple or wherever podcasts are played. Share the links, leave your reviews, and tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening today. Stay tuned for more District of Conservation episodes.